Ryan is the founder of FlowZ, a no-code automation solution. Ryan was a good student in high school. However, entrepreneurship ran in his blood. In elementary school, he would resell basketball and football cards. He sold things on the Facebook marketplace when it first came out in high school. His friends heard of it and eventually he did it for others too. He made a couple thousand dollars doing this. He started an LLC during his senior year with the $700 he saved while working at Subway. He got into dropshipping. He had some great ideas. However, after all said and done, he didn't make a single penny. This didn't stop him. He just went on to his next thing. During college, he started an app that allowed students to find out where the parties were at. He got 500 users by posting it on his Snapchat. He did all this without any code. This is where he got his start. Eventually, he dropped out. Listen to follow the rest of his story. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, Ryan, can you give a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah, I'm Ryan. I currently run No Code, No Problem, and I'm the founder of Make Flows. I'm a 21-year-old college dropout from Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. Nice. So can you give more detail on what you do? So you said No Code, No Problem, and it's funny because my slogan is No Degree, No Problem. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) So basically, the concept behind No Code, No Problem, it's like a podcast, community, all kind of focused on creating awareness for the no code space. You know, people know that you can build websites with Wix and Squarespace, things like that. But what people, or at least a lot of people don't know is that you can now build mobile apps, automations, complex web applications. Like you can build a clone of Uber if you really want to without writing a single line of code. I've heard of some different platforms and it's really interesting once you kind of learn these things, just how much you can do. And it's kind of crazy just how far... This development has come. Absolutely. It's like a new framework. It's nothing special. It's still code like at the core, but it's just like this layer over top of code that allows you to build visually. What was your sort of inspiration for building that? Well, it was basically like I have like been thinking about software and and like wanting to build apps and stuff for a really long time. And, and there's been times in my life ever since I was probably 15, 14 years old where I was like, you know, oh, I have this idea, I want to build it, could never do it. And I would like start to learn how to code and then I would fail. And and this had been going on pretty much until I was 19. And uh, I got a Facebook ad for Glide apps. And I just kind of bookmarked it, didn't think anything of it. But they were basically selling themselves as a place where you can build apps without code. So one weekend while I was still in college, I uh, was getting texts from all kinds of people. And they were always like, Hey, you know, where's the party this weekend? Like what houses? What's the address? And I was like, I don't know. But I was like, if there was like a centralized place for college students to be able to find these addresses, then it would just save everyone a lot of time and energy. So I went on my bookmarks and pulled up Glide apps. And within an hour, I threw an MVP together that let people publish addresses where the party was at. People could discover where the parties were at and they would just use their university login. So we like knew that they were a university student. And yeah, so I I built that within like an hour, pushed it out there. And uh, it was like almost like a Mark Zuckerberg moment whenever he like pushed. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking of. I was like, wow, you really I sense the college students. You're like, hey, let's get this thing going. So that's cool. But yeah, continue. Yeah. So uh, and then like that weekend, I think I put on like four or five hundred users just by putting it on my Snapchat. Just like spread like wildfire through word of mouth. So that was like my, I guess, eye opening experience. And 
nobody knew that it was built without code. And not that it really mattered. It's just about like what the end user is experiencing, right? Whether it's built with code or without code. So then I kind of like followed them on Twitter and I thought they were like a whole company. Like I thought they were a lot larger than they were, but I was on during Christmas, I was working on it and I was like doing the live chat and the CEO was like, Hey, you know, like it's Christmas Eve. Do you mind if I like spend time with my family? Like, can I get back to this? I was like, yeah. And it was just really awesome. So then I, I went and followed him on Twitter and I kind of like dove into this no code world. And it was just amazing to me how many people like weren't aware of it. So I kind of started no code, no problem as a way of bringing awareness to the possibilities. It's like a citizen developer, right? Like, yeah, that's cool. So let's take it back to high school. How was like school like for you? Was it hard? Did you like it? Can you share that? Yeah. High school was interesting. I was like your like stereotypical, like, I don't even remember what my GPA was, but it was like, like you're like 3.5 kind of like fly by night, just do what I need to do to get by. I'm a firm believer that like, if you're like meant to be an entrepreneur, like it's like ingrained in you at such an early age, like you're doing things without even realizing you're doing things. So like whenever I was in probably, I think I was like second or third grade, I would like get these packs of cards. I'd have my mom buy me these packs of cards. What type of cards? Just like basketball, football, any kind of cards. And then I would go to school and I would like talk to like all the kids in my grade and find out when their parents' birthdays were. And if they had like a birthday coming up, I would sell them cards of their favorite sports teams. So I would do shit like that. And then whenever I got to high school, I was like working at Subway. But then I was also, it was whenever Facebook Marketplace first came out and was like kind of really booming and nobody really used it yet. And so I was basically using it to sell all my old stuff. And then everyone's like, oh, you're like selling all this stuff. So then people would just give me their stuff to sell. And then I would just take a cut of that. And it like turned into a raised thrift. And like people would like make fun of me, but I, I probably pocketed like two or $3,000 from just selling shit on Facebook Marketplace in high school. <laughs> nice, nice. So what was the biggest thing you did in high school in terms of that was entrepreneurial? That's a good question. I don't know. I would say, I mean, that probably is like the funniest entrepreneurial moment I had, but I think I was 18 at the time and dropshipping was just getting popular. My dad would get so pissed off at me because all the Chinese manufacturers, like they would be up and talking to you whenever it's like three o'clock in the morning. Right. So I would be my, I would have school in the morning and this was like every night my parents would think I'm asleep. And then my dad would wake up to let the dog out and he'd see the basement light on and he'd come down. What the hell are you doing up? And I'd be like trying to talk to these Chinese manufacturers and like my like golden idea at the time was like, I want to sell wooden watches. Like I just thought they were the coolest thing. I was really fascinated with watches. Needless to say, I never actually did it because I never had the like capital to be able to like buy enough in bulk to resell. But I spent so much of my time doing that. And then I, I like started an LLC, like at the end of my senior year, it was called Trek Technologies. I had used like all the money I had saved up from working at Subway. It was like $700 through LegalZoom. And uh, <laughs> my mom was so pissed because I spent like all of my savings on like just like this LLC. And she's like, what, like, what the hell are you going to do? And I was like, oh, I'm going to sell like tech products online, like through a Shopify store. Needless to say, I didn't make a single penny. Like I really didn't make any money after ads and everything. I lost money. So it was like, wow, she was right. But then I just kind of moved on to the next thing. Yeah, it's a learning experience. The best teacher is experience. and. I'm pretty sure you'd make the same mistake again because I see, you know, when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, I see people lose a lot more trying to start things because I know it can get pretty expensive, right? Trying to start those Shopify stores and when you're running ads and then fulfilling and, you know, ordering a product and stuff. So now 
I know that you went to college. So what was your idea of college in high school? And how was that like for you? So I really didn't know like business was going to be my thing. I played basketball and I, and I did track and I was pretty good at both. And I, really the only thing I cared about was doing track in college. And then my right at the beginning of basketball, my junior year, I tore my ACL trying to dunk on a kid in a game. And it kind of like made me realize that track and basketball were like fun, but it's not forever. That's whenever I really like kind of doubled down on business because that's I just came naturally to me and like I loved it. Even with that realization, I still like wanted to do track in college. So whenever I was looking at universities, I was still like still trying to push like doing track there. So I, whenever I first started to go to Duquesne, that's the reason I chose Duquesne was because it was in a city and uh, I was going to do track there. Now, what happened in college? Because I know you dropped out. How'd you find college? You got in. How was it? Like any surprises, any realizations? Not at first. Like my first semester, I was like, you know, I'm going to put my head down because my parents weren't paying for a penny of my college. So this was all going to be taken out in private loans, which Duquesne's not like a cheap college. I was knowingly going into a metric shit ton of debt. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to do this good. And like I went my first semester. I like went really hard, got Dean's List, was like, oh, so proud of myself. And then like the next semester came, I was really working for a startup called Me Group at the time, which it's now Join Entra. They're a venture-backed startup and they're doing really well. They were building a community for entrepreneurs. I was like number eight in the community. He hit me up on Instagram and uh, now, you know, it's a lot different, but I helped him kind of build the community out. And so then I was like, oh, I like love startups, but I was also really interested in finance. So I explored some finance internships. I worked as an analyst for an asset management group. And then I don't really know what I want. And I thought it was finance. So I started my sophomore year with the valedictorian of the graduate class before me in high school, Evan. Uh, we started like a crypto asset firm where we would invest people's money in cryptocurrency. And so through that, then we got introduced to a CMU graduate who's a software engineer that was building his own cryptocurrency and wanted us to like head up with him on that. So we built our own cryptocurrency, which ended up being like, it had the most hashing power out of like all of the, that algorithms crypto. So it was like a, it was a hard fork off Bitcoin cash. And then we like went on to start worry hash, which was a decentralized marketplace for hashing power. And I was like, startups are definitely where I want to be. I had cash saved up from doing all this different shit. Right. And then I ended up leaving WarriHash. And so I, I literally was like on this blank slate. I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do, but I know I didn't want to be in college anymore. And so then it was just a matter of, you know, like making that decision, which it was not easy. <laughs> Why wasn't it easy? And did you get any backlash from your parents? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, most definitely. It was not easy because my parents are very risk adverse, right? And I'm definitely pro risk. Obviously, I dropped out of college. And it was like always having that safety net there, right? And they're like, you know, you need this to be able to do something with your life and, and like be successful, essentially. I guess they weren't necessarily that surprised because I had been bringing this up since the beginning or the end of freshman year. I, I had been like pushing, dropping out. I might drop out. They're like, haha, you're funny. <laughs> but it was always like, you know, you're not paying for it so I can do what I want kind of thing. And they, they understood that. They just like keep my head on straight and make sure I wasn't doing anything that stupid. <laughs> so yeah, no, definitely some backlash. What year did you drop out again? It was the uh, first semester of my senior year. So I was, I finished my junior year out. I was going to drop out my second semester of junior year. And I was like, 
you know what, maybe this isn't that bad. I'm going to just do another semester. So I did another semester. And after that semester, I was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> when you left and you made the decision, decision already happened. And now how did you feel? It was like a relief. It was like a weight off my shoulders. I was like, before I was trying to work on these startups, work on my own things, because there's like other things that I didn't talk about earlier in my in my like college journey, what like trying to do all of this shit at once. And it was basically like my classwork was getting neglected. That was always like weighing on my mind, like, oh, I need to do this. Oh, I need to do this. Oh, I need to do this. But my heart was telling me to do the things that I love to do. Whenever I made the decision to not go back, it was like just this weight of like not having to worry about some stupid ass professor telling me that I got a D on my healthcare ethics class, even though I'm not in healthcare. <laughs> yeah. Now you sold and dissolved so several companies. I don't know if you were. So can you share like the AI jobs list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so AI jobs list, I was on WordPress. So that was kind of before I even was in the no code space, but it was basically I built out as much as I could and then I paid a PHP dev Upwork to just kind of like iron out the rest for me. And so I had built it out and had built out a really strong community. And it was, it was an internet. The idea was it was remote jobs and AI and machine learning just because, you know, it was all about breaking barriers and, you know, prov providing like this international look at things. And so I basically had built out this really strong community and everything. And literally whenever I went to launch, I had gotten a few offers. So I, I decided to sell it was, it was nothing big, but. It was just like a nice little win in my book compared to like like that first LLC I described as as filling. And then later down the road, I think next I started, I had mentioned earlier about the party app, you know, the initial app. And I think the reason that it was so popular was because I called it fucked up. Oh, dad, that's funny. Yeah. So then I kind of pivoted because you can't put like on the actual, it was like a web-based app. So you could like still save it as an app on your phone. I wanted to like take it to the next level. So I had found two guys that were developers, one in Ohio and one in Florida that wanted to be a part of it. So I rebranded it as Uvita apps and was working with clubs and stuff to like try and relaunch it. Needless to say, it failed. And if you're looking into building a social media app, it can get really expensive, especially if you're tracking location and things like that. So just keep that in mind if you're going to be launching something like that. What's expensive if you don't mind sharing? Basically all of the API calls. So like Firebase, whenever you're like calling the like location of someone like every second and you have a thousand users and that's happening every weekend for a month like your bill is going to be in the thousands of dollars <laughs> uh, okay so it's definitely like something you need some capital because really the value of the social media apps are the tracking and stuff and if you don't track it doesn't have value right because you can't serve effective ads right if i'm speaking correctly no i mean that's completely fair and also like whenever you're trying to show people because it was ultimately, it was a discovery platform as well. So whenever someone's like walking down the street, it's like, okay, what bars are within a 20 meter distance of me? So it's like, you need to know their location for that. Yeah. How do you feel when you failed, right? Because you failed before, now you failed again. How do you take failure? And what advice do you have regarding failure? I really didn't think too much into it. I don't really read in between the lines whenever it comes to failing. It's just like, always like, what's next? Because like, I can fail 200 times, but there's like three times that you succeed or like make it all worth it. And it's just like essentially just bouncing back. I mean, you just have to have the grit. Entrepreneurship is not glamorous whatsoever. Like you're going to eat a lot of shit. I like, I love the process of eating shit. That's not like some Gary V type stuff. Cause like, I really don't like Gary V that much. Like I like Gary V, but like all his motivational stuff, it kind of, it's crap. It's meant to make people feel better about themselves, but not really 
do much for you. Exactly. That's why. So, but like, really though, like, really, you like, you really do have to eat shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great perspective because you you can only look forward, right? What happened happened. You got to move on to the next thing. So, what was Pod Launch? So, Pod Launch was after I started No Code No Problem already. I'd been doing No Code No Problem for a little while, and uh, I was fascinated with just like the different tools people use. I basically took my love for No Code and then took my love for podcasting and kind of try to combine the two. So I was like in these Facebook groups with all of these podcast hosts, 40K plus podcast hosts in these different Facebook groups. And like, they're all trying to, you know, like essentially push their podcasts to each other. And I'm like, if there was just a platform where like you could launch a podcast, like you do a product on product hunt, then like that would be pretty sick. So then I, I built it with no code. I used Bubble. I had like built a waiting list and was like selling. I wrote a podcast growth hacking ebook. And so I was like selling that in the meantime to like generate leads for the pod launch launch. And then eventually, you know, I like went to launch it and then somebody offered me something and I bought it or I sold it again. So they like, and it was another like small win. It just makes up for like the failures, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, Bubble is a great platform. I knew someone who started learning Bubble and he just started making money just developing bubble app for people who were like hey i need a project done in xyz and he knew the he knew bubble inside out and he developed something small for me it's pretty cool just how far that space has just come yeah no you can make like like as like a bubble developer you can make a lot of money like i just saw one i think two days ago or three days ago where it was a job for a bubble dev that was 50 an hour yeah that's how much i think my friend is sort of making and, you know, as a part-time, I mean, not part-time, this, as just straight, it's pretty good. I don't know. He might be charging more now. So how has the no-code development area changed over time, right? Because it's like the Wix Squarespaces, they've really started to dominate website development in the past few years. How has that changed based on your experience since you started and where it is now? Yeah, I think that people are more inclined to start leaving these Wix and Squarespaces as these new alternatives pop up especially like from a landing page perspective or just like a simple website using a platform like dorik.com, D-O-R-I-K.com or a card, C-A-R-R-D.co. They're great platforms to build, you know, simple landing pages, simple websites without the price tag of a Wix site. So like say Wix is, I don't even know, I haven't used Wix in forever, like 16 bucks a month for like one website. You can get for, on Doric, I know you can get like three websites for the year for like 50 bucks. From a pricing standpoint, it's just, completely makes sense especially if like for makers and things like that and then if you really want it to be like complex you're going to go with something like webflow i've heard so many good things about webflow in terms of just everything it's once you learn it and for seo out of all the platforms it seems to be work really well right because i know like the wix and the squarespace they're like bloated sites and they don't tend to be that seo friendly when compared to like a wordpress but webflow i've been hearing a lot of great things about it yeah, Webflow is great. I actually used Webflow for my Flows site. It's a great website. And I was able to add a lot of custom things. That was awesome. Yeah. Now, after Podlaunch sold, it seems like while you were doing it, you were part of marketing and growth at something called V.1. Yeah, yeah. So they're a no-code app builder. I was essentially helping them grow their business. I joined them whenever it was pre-product. They were like finishing the product, still hadn't launched yet. The wait list was about 700 people. While I was there, I, I took their wait list from about 700 to, I want to say like 12,000 with about a thousand paying new paying customers, which actually is like the same as the other leaders in the space, like Adalo. 
without even like officially launching a freemium model yet. So yeah, I take pride in that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely an interesting experience. And I'm kind of, you know, just doing freelancing work for, I mean, technically, I was a freelancer for them, but I was their entire marketing department. <laughs> so now I, I'm kind of just hopping around other companies like doing similar things, whether it be like, social or like getting just like the systems and processes set up within their company to be able to handle like some of them don't even have marketing CRM, setting up drip campaigns, things like that, you know, because like just straight dev teams, a lot of the times they don't have those things set up. Now, how'd you learn all this throughout your career, right? You've obviously figured things out. Like, what was your source? Like, how'd you go about learning? Did you pick up books, you forums online? What was your process looking like? That's a good question. I wouldn't say it's just like one thing. It's just been like a process of doing and figuring it out, honestly. I mean, learning from people along the way, just like talking to people, learning from people. I do like like to read. I usually don't read books like that. Two of my favorite books are Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Highly recommend if you've never read. And then Outliers is another one. Outliers, I've heard very good thing. Who, who wrote Outliers? Nassim Taleb? Oh, I don't remember the author of Outliers. Okay, I'll look it up right now. So for those of you in the audience, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, that's honestly a really good book as well. It, it talks basically a lot about like statistics and like what makes someone an outlier in every sense from flights to your birthday to yeah, just everything. It's crazy. Let's go back to like the education system. How do you think the education system can be approved for someone like you? I don't know if it can as like a doer. This is my like beef with the education system, right? For me, it's like with what I do, there's no way to replicate it in a classroom setting. And you could say schools are developing these entrepreneurship programs, but I don't think they're doing so for the better of the student. I think they're seeing entrepreneurship becoming normalized and like almost glorified. So then they're just they're profiting off of it. Yeah, yeah. They're making it a commodity, right? They kind of have to adapt like, hey, schools aren't innovative. So let's make something that's innovative. There's only so much you can do, right? Because at the end of the day, it's like. I can tell you how to be an entrepreneur. I can tell you all these things. But when you're in the weeds, you can't just watch a video on how to play basketball and learn it in and out. You have to play it at some point. No, yeah, I agree 100%. I think it's like slimy almost. Like they're just trying to figure out a way to profit. I totally get it because it is what it is. But they were just taking this glorified image of entrepreneurship and then like turning it into a program and then trying to sell it. You know, you've done a lot of the right things. What were some big mistakes that you made that you're like, hey, I'm not going to make that mistake again? I think one of my favorite mistakes is, and this is like really broad sense, but whenever you want to start a new business, the idea in your head does not mean shit. And I've seen this so many times, and this is kind of like more of a builder's mindset, but just because you build something doesn't mean people will come. And then even if people do come, doesn't mean they're going to pay for it. So I think it's extremely important right off the bat to talk to your customers. At the end of the day, all it is is solving someone's problem. It doesn't need to be like this fantastic billion dollar app idea. It just needs to be solving someone's problem. Whether that be a nanny, whether that be a pharmacist, it doesn't it doesn't matter. And and that's another thing too that a lot of people like especially kids now they see billionaires like Zuck and uh oh Bezos. Yeah, Bezos, yeah. They see guys like that and they're like, "Oh, I need to have that idea." It's like to be a successful entrepreneur, in my opinion, you don't need to have anything that innovative. It can be just literally cutting things out. And, and I'll actually give you an example of this. There's a company that is called it's nannychecks.com. And essentially, they just handle payroll for nannies, right? I would say they're probably 
somewhere between a three to six million dollar company. If you look at the website, it looks like it was built in like the nineties. Their entire process is manual. So if somebody really wanted to, they could build this same exact thing and automate it and cut the costs in half. And usually whenever, if you're a business owner or, or you own a business and you're playing a pricing game with your competitors, you're playing a losing battle. But if you have the leverage of having an entirely automated process, then you can win because you can cut their price in half. They can't keep up with that price because the only way to cut their costs is to fire employees. And if they fire employees, then they can't do the work. Like old, weird, super niche verticals like that, you can start a multi-million dollar company doing literally just that. And it's so unsexy, I think. And that's part of the issue with like kids today. They want it to be sexy. They're like AI, machine learning, like all of these like hot keywords. They want to start businesses. And it's like, dude, there's so many like verticals that you can just make so much money. in if you just looked, you know, it's funny because, you know, entrepreneurship being sexy, a lot of these people online, right? The big gurus, influencers, they sell the dream of entrepreneurship being sexy, right? They sort of sell this lie and it gets a lot of people. Like, for example, I come across, you know, you network a lot. I network a lot. I come across a lot of people saying, hey, I'm going to build an app. And then I asked them, I was like, why does it need to be an app? Right? Because there was a time that you could build like an app that does very little and raise a lot of money, right? I think around 2014 to 2017-ish. Now it's like, your app needs to have users, needs to have everything before you're going to get a dime, right? Unless you're going to friends and family. Yeah. I think it's just the fact that they're just not aware, right? Like I've talked to, that's honestly a great point. And I'm really glad you brought that up. Like there's so many people that have ideas and uh, they don't need to be in a mobile app. Like they can just be a web app and so many more people will use it if it is a web app. And it's just going to cost you so much more money and time to build it out. Like for the mobile experience, as long as your application is like mobile friendly, that's it. That's one of the things that really grinds my gears is like these like fake entrepreneurs selling like this incredible like thing where the only money they make is off of the course or BS that they sell. And that's what has made entrepreneurship sexy. A prime example of this is there's this kid. He's not even a real entrepreneur. And I talked to him. He works for a company selling fake followers, fake Instagram followers. He's still like, pushes all the motivation stuff on platforms and like has entrepreneur in the bio. And I'm like, it like just got in my gears. And I said something to him and he's like, kind of like ruins entrepreneurship. It ruins it. And it, it just like makes me sad that this is like what it's come to. Like, I hate the word entrepreneur now. Yeah. You know, we are entrepreneurs. It feels kind of weird because we just associate when you see online, you see these people who are selling these glamorous lifestyles. And, you know, there's also a big product service around fake entrepreneurship, right? There are people who rent jets for an hour for photo shoots, right? And it's just, you know, the fact that it even exists is because people fall into that. And it's like even celebrities have gotten caught trying to prop up their image. And it's kind of sad because they only do it because they know they'll get followers and they'll get status. And then it's just this never ending cycle that's really toxic, right? Especially for someone who's young and impressionable, especially for high school kids, you can sell them anything, really. You know what that means, right? Whenever I'm up in New York next, we're going to have to rent out a fake jet and get some cool pics. <laughs> yeah, look, I'll do it. I just won't post about it. Right? <laughs> so, you know, it, it's funny, man. And it, it's it's just interesting. But yeah, definitely when you're in New York, we definitely got to meet. Would love to meet you. Now, have you ever felt insecure about not having a degree? And if so, how'd you move past that? Or if you have moved past it? No, I don't feel insecure. I think it's honestly, for me, it's become like, it's kind of a way to stand out, right? 
like whenever I'm working and I'm like trying to get these new client gigs and stuff, a lot of times people will put their degree and stuff in there and I will literally write to them. I will say, I dropped out of college, but everyone's telling you right now why that they should get the gig because they're so great. I'm going to give you four ways right now you can improve your business. And like you can use them whether you hire me or not. And people love that. So no, I've never been insecure because I know what I can produce. I know like the caliber of person I am. So it, it doesn't even make a difference. Like it feels good in a way. Like I'm not proud that I dropped out of college necessarily, but I'm proud that I didn't need it to be able to achieve the things that I've achieved. Nice. Now, how would coworkers or managers, people you work with describe working with you? I would say fast paced. <laughs> sometimes intense. I'm pretty laid back, so it's not that bad. But I work all hours. Whenever I was at V1, I would talk to the CEO sometimes at, I mean, he was Pacific Standard Time, so it was a little different for him. It could be in the morning or it could be two o'clock or it could be like, say, 11 or it could be two in the morning. Like I'm the same way. I do my meetings at 2 a.m. because I know I have no other things going on. And it's just you don't have to worry about any other things popping up. And then just passionate. If I'm going to do something like work-wise with you, it has to be something like I actually care about because if not, it's just, you know. What are some things that you sort of struggle with? The ultimate thing that I struggle with for sure. And Pete, my, all my friends that are like have businesses and work for like startups and stuff, they all make fun of me for this. It's like constantly wanting to start something new. Like I'll have like three ideas a day and I'm like, dude, let's do this. And they're like, you already have five other things on your plate. Like stop. And I'm like, no, but hear me out. So that's like my downfall because I just don't know. Shiny object syndrome. Oh my God. Yeah. It's it's terrible. You know, it's funny how I combat that. I tell myself the only ideas that matter are the ones I actually go through with because, you know, I'm the same way. You know, I see opportunity everywhere and I'm like, ah, if I did that, if I did that. But, you know, thankfully I've stuck with a couple of things over the years and they allow me to sort of be able to start new things. But or I start new things within my own businesses, right? So a new arm or a new way. So I think that's what keeps me in check from just starting like a whole different venture. Yeah, no, I've definitely gotten way better. But before it was, it was pretty bad. Yeah. It also like make flows keeps me ground, like flows keeps me grounded too. So <laughs> yeah. What's something you want to accomplish in the future, man? You're young. I mean, you've already lived the life of someone who's done it for a while, but you know, you still have a lot going for you and you have a long future ahead of you. What do you want to accomplish in the future? I would say like immediate future. Like I love flows. I love like what we're doing. I want to build it. If you look at the timeline on most things, most things are a year or less. And so I want to build flows to be something really awesome and a great brand within, you know, say two years. And then ultimately like have a big acquisition. And when I say big, I'm going to say, let's say like 50 mil or more. Yeah. I hope you hit it, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, re- I'm really excited about it. <laughs> Don't forget about me. Yeah. No. So, and, and then we can take a picture in a real jet. Not, re- <laughs> yeah, not rented, you know? Exactly. And then what's, that, what's after that? You get the acquisition. You know, what's sort of the life goal for you? On to the next thing, man. <laughs> On the next thing. Yeah. I think I'm just like one of those people that I could sell my company for a billion dollars tomorrow. And within 24 hours, I'll start working on something new. Like there's just like... There's just like this never satisfying like hunger in me. And it's just like, I just, sometimes I wish I could just feed it. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, it would just be on to the next thing. Like, I just want to like, just keep building awesome stuff that people love. Like that's, that's it. Now, 
obviously you have like an intense lifestyle. How do you sort of maintain it? How do you maintain that balance? Well, it helps that my girlfriend is also a workaholic. So that definitely helps like that relationship. We've been together for eight years. So like it's been a minute. But yeah, so that helps tremendously. But also I would say sweet red wine, tequila, that, that helps. Um, <laughs> not promoting alcoholism on your show. I'm not. Yeah, no, look, uh, <laughs> you, you, look, I want people to be honest. I had someone who's like a drug dealer and stuff during his high school years and he used that to fund other things. And look, I want to be real with people because too many people, especially in entrepreneurship, a lot of people don't talk about the background and the realities, right? I've seen so many people where it's like, when you know their actual backgrounds, they talk about, yeah, I came from nothing. I had 227 in my pocket and I was homeless. And meanwhile, they were renting out their parents' house and collecting all the rent, which is like, look, you had a great start. So don't act like you were truly down on your luck, right? You're just a rich kid who had it going for him. That's one of those things that pisses me off too. Whenever like there are rich kids that are like, act like they came from nothing. I definitely didn't come from nothing, but I worked for everything. Yeah, like, you know what you came from and you know what you had, you know what privilege you had and you know what you didn't have. And as simple as that, most people respect that. Yeah, yeah. It's like different. It was definitely, that wasn't a big adjustment for Duquesne too. Like I was rich where I came from, but where I came from was the poorest city in Pennsylvania. So like my combined, my parents didn't make six figures, but like we were rich. The rich people were like teachers that were making 40K a year. So then I go to Duquesne and people have Ferraris, like VPs of like these Fortune 500 companies. And I'm like, holy shit, this is insane. <laughs> how was it sort of growing up in that environment? Would you say that played a big motivation in how you are? I would say, yeah, very much so. I had friends growing up that literally didn't know where their next meal was going to be. Friends that were like literally lived in abandoned houses with no running water. I would definitely say that played a big are you still able to maintain friendships with the people that you grew up with? Because I know sometimes it can be hard, right? Because they're just sometimes different mindsets. Sometimes just it's not easy, right? There are some people that, you know, I was friends with in middle school that I just can't be friends with because we're just on different wavelengths. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it is. I talked to maybe two people from back where I grew up just because different wavelengths for sure. Now, you mentioned that you got the sticker shock when you saw people in Ferraris in, in college. <laughs> like, how is that? Can you share that? Yeah, it was insane. Like just hearing people talk about their lifestyles. Like I remember the one girl freshman year, it was like our orientation week and she was, she didn't know that it wasn't normal for everyone to have two houses. <laughs> and I know we talked a little bit about this whenever you were at Columbia. <laughs> it's very, very different for sure. And especially, I really didn't like a lot of the people at first because from where I grew up and these people that I was with, the, just the way they carried themselves, the attitude, everything completely different. We always looked down, like whenever, I, like back where I came from, it was, we always looked down on people that had wealth. Like whenever I was a freshman in high school, whenever we were going to play our first playoff game, we were playing like one of the Catholic schools near us. And the motivational speech that our high school coach said before we went on the field was, do you want to know the difference between us and them? We live in houses. They live in mansions. Like that's like, that was what I swear to God. That's what I know. It's hilarious to think about now, but like that's the shit. It's crazy because I remember when I went to high school, my high school had people from all over, right? So you had a big gap. You had some poor kids. You had some really wealthy kids. I remember I was a friend in high school. She was like, yeah, we got a vacation house, but you know, we still got two mortgages. It's not like it's easy. And it's like, oh, you know, I, I want to get that first house, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I think this is a really informative episode. You know, I wish you the best. How would someone get in contact with you? What are your social media handles? Yeah, at Ryan Meyer on Twitter. 
R-Y-A-N-M-Y-H-E-R. I'm really active on Twitter. Or if you want to send me an email, Ryan at makeflows, L-O-W-Z dot com. Nice, nice. So I wish you the best. Yeah. You know, keep on rocking. And regardless of what happens, I'm always looking forward to your next thing. Thanks, man. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for having me on. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree. No problem, any problem we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.